Observer, I'm Dawn Vaughn, your host for this episode of Under the Dome for the week of Monday, January 16th, 2023. I'm here today with my News and Observer politics team colleague, Luciana Perez Uribe Gnasi, and health reporter Teddy Rosenbluth. As listeners know, healthcare and politics cross over frequently, so that's what we're talking about today. No, not Medicaid expansion, something else. Changes to the state health plan for teachers and state employees, which has uh, gotten a lot of attention lately because of some big changes. And Luciana and Teddy have uh, more stories for you that just came out or posted, I guess, in the past few days. If you haven't read those yet, please check out uh, newsobserver.com for all our coverage on the state health plan. So the state health plan uh, is more than just state employees, which are a number about 60,000 people. It's also teachers across the state. It's also retirees and all their dependents. So we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people, and that's a lot. The state health plan is administered by the state treasurer's office, which recently announced the insurance company processing all those claims won't be Blue Cross Blue Shield North Carolina anymore, but rather Aetna, or so it appears. So Teddy, let's start with you. Why does this matter? So for plan members, it doesn't seem like a lot is actually going to change for them um, if Aetna does take over the contract in 2025. Um, So the things that Treasurer Dale Falwell has said won't be impacted by this change are premiums, which is, you know, what you pay per month for insurance. Um, Co-pays and deductibles will stay the same. That's not impacted by the third-party administrator. And the list of medications um, covered by the health plan. So that's kind of run by um, a, a separate PBM, uh, you know, which manages the list of medications. So that is also um, not going to change if Aetna takes over. Um, Luciana, do you want to talk about some of the things that might change? Yeah. So one thing that might change and is probably pretty important for plan members is whether healthcare providers will be considered in-network. And that is still not fully clear um, to what extent the provider networks will change and what sort of matchup there is between Aetna's and Blue Cross's network. So we're looking into that and um, we're gonna keep following that and we have more details on what we've heard might be the change in the network in our story coming up. But but yeah, it's still not fully clear. Um, Another pretty, Uh, important change for a few uh, people impacted with Medicare is that uh, Medicare has three plans. One of two of those are with Humana and one of them is with Blue Cross NC. So that plan might be affected, but Aetna should be providing an alternative for that. Just to reiterate, Teddy, can you say again for I mean, state employees, you know, when we first covered this, the the day the information came out, it was suddenly like, wait, what does this mean for me? Or I don't like this, or or, I'm not sure. I think I want to not like this or do like this. So again, what is not changing? So what is not changing are premiums. That's set by the state. That's what you pay per month, kind of the structure of payments. So co-pays, deductibles, Um, and the formulary or list of medications um, that is covered by this plan. So basically the out-of-pocket costs for people that are on the plan that are worried about that. Right. That that should stay the same. That is what Fallwell has promised. And Luciana, there's a little more in the details then as far as what's still to be determined 
And then I guess the in-network and not, it's going to dip if you end up having to change doctors. Yeah, yeah. So basically who you can see what doctors, hospitals are going to be in network. And um, just that one Medicare Blue Cross uh, NC plan will be affected. So the state health plan is administered by the treasurer's office. It wasn't just the treasurer, Dale Fulwell himself, who made this decision. It was the board of trustees. So who are the board of trustees? Why did they make this decision? How, how did it come together? So the Board of Trustees is, um, you know, for the state health plan, and they have authority to, you know, change certain rates, such as the premiums and such. Um, and they had a meeting, and they voted to, uh, pro- you know, give the contract to Aetna. But it's still not fully clear why they made this decision. Uh, the state treasurer says it's because they scored, uh, Blue Cross scored lower than Aetna on an internal scoring system that looked at technical and cost factors. Um, but it was also reported by NC Tribune that technology may have been a big factor. Um, basically, the company facets uh, that was used in the state health plan, there were a lot of complaints that uh, vendors were not being paid on time and that physicians were dropped at random from the system. And another factor that may have played in were transparency issues, according to the treasurer. And Teddy can go more uh, into depth into this. Transparency has been a big thing that uh, Fulwell talks about. So how does how does that come into play? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's just kind of worth noting on this, like, transparency point that, you know, Fulwell has criticized Blue Cross for a lack of transparency. But when I spoke to state plan members, they kind of were criticizing Falwell for the same thing and that like they don't know what this means for them. They felt like that wasn't being communicated clearly. They were, you know, I spoke to a teacher who was worried she would have to take up a second job, you know, to pay, you know, for higher premiums, which as we know is likely not going to change. Um, So I think a lot of people were frustrated um, by the fact that, you know, you say you're all for transparency, but when it comes to communicating how this is going to impact them, um, they, you know, it was kind of radio silence. Um, And of course, none of this is helped by the fact that that there's kind of this uh, quote unquote silent period, um, which means that no one involved in um, this decision can... uh, speak about the details of the deal um, because of certain non-disclosure agreements. So we're recording this, uh, if you are listening to this on on Monday, which is the uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day holiday, if you're not listening to this till Tuesday, um, just to be aware that we're recording it Friday afternoon. And just as reporting has been going on this week, something there are always these new developments, including just uh, just yesterday. So What's where are we with this deal? How final is it? What's what's just happened and what's so an appeal was filed Thursday, so yesterday, and uh, by Blue Cross, uh, saying requesting that uh, you know the board, the treasurer, review uh, the decision they made in granting it to Aetna, uh, saying that it was basically an oversimplification in the comparison, and that in 2019 the request for a proposal required a lot of, um, you know, more points, more analysis, and that this uh, request for a proposal just did not do the same. But it's still all playing out until we can really see documents, until we can see the actual contracts and the pointing system ourselves. Um, you know, at, here at the NNO, we still are not super clear on what this all entails. And this still wouldn't go 
into effect for a while anyway. 2025. Yeah. So there's still, there's a long, this is still pretty early on and everything. Um, so those of you who are on the state health plan don't have anything to worry about yet. Yeah. And, and the treasurer has, you know, said that they're working on a communication plan and they're going to try to get more information to members um, before the enrollment period for 2025. Is there any other factors at play between Blue Cross NC and Aetna, uh, Teddy, that you see just overall with uh, the healthcare industry that's going to come into play at this? Or is this more very much like minute detail of processing type? Yeah, I think it's really going to come down to the provider network. And we've kind of been getting different information, um, you know, in terms of how big the network is in Blue Cross versus Aetna. Um, you know, they have released statistics that kind of seem to seem to contradict each other. Um, but until we can really see the data, which we won't be able to see until after the silent period is over, um, it's hard to exactly say how those they stack up against each other. When uh, state employees and, and everyone else that's on the plan first heard about this, they were, you know, that initial alarm of what's changing. And I had heard from some state employees worried about what are going to be the changes to even things like customer service? What what have you all heard from, from workers themselves or retirees or others on the plan? I think, um, you know, as we've talked about, there are a lot of concerns that can kind of be like put at ease that are not going to change, like drugs being covered and premiums. Um, one thing that, you know, people might want to be aware of is that certain requirements about prior authorizations might change. So, of course, that's referring to you having to get permission to have a procedure um, like from the third party administrator um, before you have the procedure done. Um, and so if, you know, Aetna is a bit stricter about what they authorize, that could have a big impact on members. Uh, well, we'll find out as uh, time goes on with what uh, what we in the newsroom uh, uh, recover, what lawmakers themselves uh, will ask questions about. And I could imagine this could come up in some way in the legislative session. But before we talk about the legislature, uh, we need to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Under the Dome. I'm News and Observer Politics reporter Don Vaughn, here with my colleagues Teddy Rosenbluth and Luciana Perez-Rubeginasi. Before the break, we're talking about changes to the health plan that impacts many state employees and teachers who are also watching in the return of the General Assembly. We'll talk a little bit about that, and then we'll share our picks for headliner of the week, which, of course, you all are waiting for. So, yeah, Don, uh, speaking about that, what do you think those employees and teachers are paying attention to as the session begins? Because we were just talking about uh, insurance and benefits are a big part of your job and why you want to work in state government, and so is your paycheck. And so raises, I think, is going to be really the biggest thing that uh, te teachers, of course, have other factors because there's you know, a variety of education legislation that impacts their day-to-day -day lives. But for state employees, their, their work is often a little bit more predictable. But unfortunately, what they don't like what's predictable is um, generally raises of only a few percent the past few years which doesn't keep up with inflation, and it hasn't. I asked Speaker Moore about this on opening day, and he said, I said, you know, are the raises going to keep up with inflation? And he said, I don't think anything is keeping up with inflation, even though that slowed. So the day this past week, Wednesday, uh, listeners that were, were there paying attention is it's the swearing in of all 170 lawmakers. It's pomp and circumstance. So usually the House starts with a Pledge of Allegiance, 
a prayer and then business and the Senate starts with a prayer. They don't do the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, neither one of them have the national anthem, which both chambers did this time, and color guard. So there was all of that. All the lawmakers' families were there. A lot of super cute kids sitting in there, their parents' big uh, senator house chairs. And we've uh, Ethan Hyman, one of our photographers here, got some really cute photos of, of all the families and everything like that. So it was pretty much just that. There's some controversy in the House because temporary rules were passed, which is going to make it easier for Republicans to call veto override votes with no notice, uh, to call votes on any legislation without notice. And uh, it's about, it's not the permanent rules yet when they come back. Uh, the House Rules Chair, Dustin Hall, and uh, the Democratic um, House Leader, Robert Rees, will go back and forth a bit uh, about what those permanent rules are going to be. But the end result of that is that Republicans have the votes. They don't, they're one short of a supermajority, but they have a majority. So anything that the majority party wants to pass in a chamber, they can, unless there's a lot of dissent within their, within their caucus. So when they come back on January 25th, I think we'll have um, you know, a lot of like the flurry of bill filings of that probably won't go anywhere, um, or maybe they will, and then arguing about the House rules. The Senate already passed its rules, its permanent rules, so they're ready to go. And their notice on veto overrides and legislation is much more formal because the Senate itself is much more formal overall. And um, uh, Senator Rabin will tell Senator Blue when there's going to be a veto override. And it's, it's just a different process than the House. So the House will probably be the, the chamber to watch, really, I think. So what's that veto override rule going to impact? Like, how's it going to play out? So the people are up in arms because they're saying that there won't be notice for veto overrides. But there kind of already hasn't been in the House because you can put something on the calendar, but you don't have to vote on it. You just keep it on the calendar which is what they did a couple of years ago with the budget and with an abortion bill. And so this um, Democrats are saying it's holding us hostage, that we have to be there all the time just in case they vote. Um, they're saying that now, but that's kind of what it was all before when it was just on the calendar day after day and there was a big content contentious like 2019 Uh vote and the exchange between Speaker Moore and Representative Deb Butler. And Moore's still around, Butler's still around. There's, a, I guess, not really any yelling in the House anymore. Um, but I don't think that, I don't think Moore anyway wants that kind of attention from us in the press or anybody else with like wildly short call votes. But on the other hand, Republicans have their agenda in the caucus. And if they see a path to getting something um, you know, out of the chamber and or override um, Cooper's veto, then they're going to take it. I mean, that's that's what they do. So it's going to be a bit more formalized than the power to just override when they want to. Yeah, it'll be um, every day will will matter. And I'm going to make this comment on the podcast because our editor Jordan Schrader said that I had um, reached my critical mass on making Hamilton in the room where it happens uh, jokes and my story. So it really is all about being in the room where it happens. <laughs> if you are not in the room and the math changes for the three-fifths majority of how right a veto, then um, then what becomes law or what doesn't will change. So uh, just slip that in there while I could. All right. Uh, now it's time for our picks for headliner of the week. Uh, Luciana, uh, who or what is your headliner this week? 
So my headliner is the death of Lisa Marie Presley. Um, I wanted to pick a happier headliner, but it was definitely just a, a big surprise to me when I saw the news yesterday. So, yeah. Some of us were talking before we started recording about um, Elvis Presley, Curse Lisa Marie's uh, his kid. And uh, Elvis is mentioned in that uh, new National Treasure series. So I don't know if any of our listeners are watching that. It's <laughs> on my list to watch. So. Yes, you should definitely. <laughs> uh, all right. So mine is, uh, speaking of history, actual history, not just uh, TV, which National Treasure is fictionalized. Or is it? Anyway, um, today, if you're listening to this on Monday, it's uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, and... King came to Raleigh and Durham and Chapel Hill and wherever else, if listeners across the state, uh, he probably had come through uh, your town or city or county also, um, but spent a lot of time here. Uh, he stayed with Mickey Mashaw, the former um, really longtime House member and a Senate member for, I think it was about a day or two that he was in the Senate, maybe only a day. But he stayed with Mashaw's family when uh, Mickey Mashaw was young. In, uh, in college, um, at written some stories in years past about, about King's visits to, to Durham and Raleigh. So he spent a fair amount of time here. And actually, the day that he was assassinated, um, he had originally planned to come through Durham and help someone's campaign, but had been um, diverted and decided to go to the um, sanitation workers' strike instead. So that's a little bit of North Carolina history for you about King's visit. So, all right, Teddy. Uh, what's your headliner? And also, I didn't say this at the start, but Teddy's never been on Under the Dome podcast before. So welcome uh, to your debut. We'll have you again to talk about uh, health issues if, uh, if we don't run you off. But anyway, what's your what's your headliner of the week? All right. So my headliner of the week is The Optimist, which is a coffee shop in Raleigh. And I don't know if anyone's ever been there, but I am like always looking for good coffee shops to work in. And I would say The Optimist is like one of the best in Raleigh. Like the coffee, nine out of 10. Like Wi-Fi, 10 out of 10. Overall vibes, 10 out of 10. So I highly recommend if you have not checked it out already. It's gonna get more crowded. Just where I'm not getting <laughs> paid by them. <laughs> I actually like Morning Times only because it's part of Raleigh Times, which used to be a newspaper. So that's why I'm partial. What about you, Luciana? Where do you get coffee? I like Lucky Tree a lot. I like the art pieces that they have hanging up, and their coffee's pretty good. There's also another Optimus in Raleigh, which is a good place to go, and that's Optimus Park. Oh, interesting. Um, over off Six Forks. Um, it's a community center. It's been around for decades, and they have a big pool and everything. So that Optimus is pretty cool, too. So let's plug for Raleigh Parks and Rec. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, I'm Don Vaughn for Luciana and Teddy and all of us here at the News Observer, including our producer, Laura Brache. Uh, we'll talk to you next time. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.